So for a couple of years, I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't pastor. Um, my wife and I ran a nonprofit. She runs it now, but uh, we ran it together. And um, a few years ago, I went back into pastoring, and I did it in this space, you know, the different versions of the churches, but in this space. And I remember talking to the elders there. I remember sitting with Joshua and a few other people um, and saying that if I pastor again, it needs to be a place where my family fits and where there's mercy for us, where there's grace for us, because we desperately need that. And I didn't know where that church was, and so I was like, okay, Lord, if, if can, can we make that space? And um, so my little girl, if you don't know, she, she'll be real quiet if she doesn't know people, if she doesn't feel safe. But as soon as she feels safe, she can't be quiet. And if you're new, the, the talking from the back corner, everybody can talk here, okay? All of this is conversational, but the talking in the back corner that seems like a little girl yelling at someone is a little girl yelling at someone because my daughter's home here. And I can't tell you as a dad the gift that is because we don't always feel at home, right? We don't always feel like places are safe for us. We're going to talk about mercy a little bit. We're going to talk about remembering God's mercy, but I can't help but feel this week for our culture, for our country. Most of the people I talk to do not feel at home right now. We feel scared. We feel anxious. We feel tension, all this kind of stuff. And the ground that we have God standing on, of course, he stands much greater than we can imagine, but the place that we have for him feels real shaky and feels real uncertain. And I can't help but think of when Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And I can't help but think of the times that he says, go and be merciful and you'll be shown mercy in all of this. And I look at me and I look at us collectively as a big culture and we're not so merciful right now. Um, and so before we get into that, let's pray as a community for this week, okay? This is an important week. We're going to gather again next Sunday, no matter what Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday look like. We're coming back together Sunday, and we're going to worship the God who is unchanging. But let's surrender this week to him. It's his anyway. So let, let's pray together. Jesus, you said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and I spend a lot of time trying to sacrifice more and more as if that will get me off the hook of being merciful. And this week we're afraid of people who are different than us, mostly politically, mostly in, ideologi uh, in ideologies. We're making villains out of brothers, we're making villains out of sisters. And I pray that you would see us mercifully pray that you would heal us. I pray that you would forgive us for what we're not even repenting of yet. I pray that we would recognize you at work and that you're bigger than our thoughts and our fears and that you're sovereign. And so we, we lay this week before you 
and we actively participate in all you have for us. But at the end of the day, our trust is in you and you alone. And so thanks that you're unchanging. Help us be reminded of that this morning as we look into your word. Amen. Um, so I come from a pretty big family. I've told a lot of you that before. Like there's only three of us siblings, but my dad had uh, eight brothers and sisters. My mom had three brothers. Um, then everybody like just had lots of babies. So there's just a big family. And in, in my family, particular on the Nest side, when people graduate high school, everybody comes to the party. And there's like 120 people on that side of the family. And then you've got friends and you've got parents, co-workers, and you've got my mom's side. And so graduation parties are huge, right? They're bigly, just huge parties. And, uh, and so this party just gets massive and it, and it takes over like the whole yard and the whole garage and the whole front yard and all this stuff. And um, there's preparation forever because there's this like weird pride in us that you don't like outsource anything. You don't hire a caterer. You don't go to like the northern version of Kroger and get chicken there or anything. You've got to make everything or the aunts and uncles have to make everything. So that means you cook way ahead of time. So my sister graduated a few years before me. And my mom started baking way early. And uh, we had this freezer in the garage that was locked. But I knew where the key was. And there was this giant Tupperware that only, like, moms get. I don't know at what age you get one. My wife hasn't been there yet, but it's that one that looks, like, kind of off-white. It looks kind of dirty, but it's not. When the lid is on its own, it's super warped, but it fits perfect on the Tupperware. You know the one? And it's, like, really, really deep. It's deceptively deep. So she had this giant Tupperware of butterscotch bars. And I've told you before, in the north... Everything is, is like buttery and dense. And so this Tupperware weighed like 4,000 pounds. And I don't even really like butterscotch bars, but I knew where the key was. And so I remember I was playing basketball with some friends, and I think I was mad about something. And I'm in the garage, and I'm kind of grubby, and I find the little key, and I open up the freezer. And I, I remembered that I was looking for ice cream, but there was no ice cream. But there was this, you know, 50,000-pound... Tupperware of butterscotch bars, and I was like, I should try one, and so I did, and I was like, this isn't bad, so I should try another one, because there's like 10,000 of them in this thing, like, it's for like 200 people, that's a lot of butterscotch bars, so I had a couple, and then I locked it back up, I hid the key where it's supposed to go, and I went inside, and like, I was like, plagued with guilt, right? Other times in my life, I went to my parents at that point, and like, like the time that I jumped out of my locker and scared Miss Blumquist, and she gave me a detention because I scared her so bad. I, I dwelled on it for a little bit, and then I went right to my parents and said, hey, here's what I did. I'm so sorry. Normally, I was the kid who went to the parents and said, mom, I ate two butterscotch bars, and my hands were dirty. I probably touched six more. You should give me those, and then we're good. But this time, I didn't do that. I just kept thinking, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble because my mom really, really worked hard. How am I going to fix this? And I was like, well, my mom puts everything in even layers. So I need to just eat the layer. <laughs> yeah, but that's smart. <laughs> so I ate the layer. 
But my friends that I was playing basketball with, we were an uneven number compared to the amount of bars. So we got into the next layer. And like, man, what am I going to do? And so we ate the next layer, and I had more friends over. But the problem was I couldn't give friends the corner pieces because those were like burnt and really not very good. So I was throwing my mom's bars away (laughs) to give everyone the good bars. And we got another layer. And then I started noticing, like you can tell, that we just ate three layers of butterscotch bars because there's only like five layers. And then I was like, well, I'm in trouble. She's going to kill me anyway. And I, I, I knew I was in trouble, but I like that whole feeling of I've got to do something. I can run to my mom. She's safe. I can make this right. All that, all that went away. I was just like, well, this is who I am. I'm the butterscotch thief. <laughs> it's just who I am. And so we ate the next layer. <laughs> just out of sheer identity. This is me. Deal with it, life. When I go to get a job later on my resume is he ate all the butterscotch bars. But I couldn't take that Tupperware out of the freezer because she would see it because she's putting more things in the freezer, right? So we just left the bottom layer of butterscotch bars. I know I'm a horrible person. (laughs) And here's what's worse. Like when you do something wrong so much, you actually forget. So I forgot I ate all my mom's butterscotch bars, except that bottom layer. And she put on things on top of it and things underneath it, things beside it, all this kind of stuff. And it came to graduation day, or it came to the day before graduation day. She took them out to thaw them, and that was a light Tupperware. And she beelined to me. And she said, where are these butterscotch bars? And the worst part of the whole story is I looked at her, and I was like, I ate them. There was no, like, remorse. There was no, I had just, like, internalized all this. This is me. Somehow I had a right to 10,000 butterscotch bars. Here's the thing. I don't even like butterscotch. I don't like it. It doesn't taste good. It's just that I wasn't supposed to eat it. Like, I really think, like, the forbidden fruit is butterscotch. I just wasn't supposed to have it. And once I did, I got over the, Holy Spirit working in me, the conscience, all this kind of stuff, and just ate and ate and ate until that became became who I was. And I looked at my mom, shocked that she didn't know that I was the butterscotch thief. And she had to scramble and get more bars, and I I just, I I almost didn't even care. Horrible. But I don't think I'm the only one. Like, maybe you didn't have butterscotch bars. But that's like what sin does to us, right? We've noticed right away, and then we kind of forget, and we get stuck, and and we all kind of scramble with scarce solutions. Once I took two bars, I had no clue how to fix it except to run to my parents and say, I'm caught. Can you help me? I didn't know any other way. The only other way was like I could try to make them, but I don't know how to make them, or I could eat them and try to even it out. All the answers were horrible answers and scarce solutions, and when we live with scarce solutions in so many areas of our life, we start to put those scarce ideas on God. I don't have options, so he doesn't have options. I live real small, so he's really small. Or on our life, 
I already took the bar, so this is just who I am. So I might as well keep taking the bars. And for the rest of my life, I am Matt Ness colon butterscotch thief. That's just what the business card should say. But Titus 3 says, if we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves... Uh, slaves to various possessions and pleasure, pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating everyone. That was us once, maybe this morning. At some point, we have to realize we're foolish. At some point, we have to realize the butterscotch is gone, we're caught, and we have to do something about it. So a lot of times we're blatant and wrong, like me with the freezer key, right? But other times, like, we're trying to do something right in our life, and it just, we just make a bigger mess because we're trying to fix everything ourselves. Um, I heard this story of this this preacher one time. It's actually me, but I'm trying to tell an old preacher story. Uh, this preacher who had a, who had a child, and this, this child was uh, like toddler age and was wearing a diaper and somehow was like born to be on the show American Ninja Warrior and could climb out of anything and had climbed out of their like baby cage and was roaming the house. And the preacher and his wife were sleeping and this child had to go to the bathroom. And because this child was in a diaper, he just did. And then he got really uncomfortable and was deciding, well, I'm going to loose this diaper. So loose the diaper and the contents fell on the floor. And this child realized that's something that's not good. Like a pile of poop on a floor is not a good thing. And you would think that this preacher's child would come and wake the parents, but he was being a really kind <coughs> child. So he went and got the little popper vacuum cleaner toy. And decided, like, I'm just going to vacuum because that's what my parents do. And the preacher and his wife woke to the sound of a popper vacuum toy staining the carpet. (laughs) I hear that that preacher was mad, but I'm not so sure. But you know those days too, right? Where you're trying to do things right. You're, You're trying to, like clean up your mess because you made the mess and you're doing the best that you have with what you have and you have scarce resources like the popper vacuum toy and you just make everything worse and then your life gets stained and you're like why ever try to fix anything again I just make giant messes and my life stinks I mean you remember those days when you tried to fix your mess alone you only made it worse. You remember them? I mean, maybe that was this morning, but like we have to remember this. If we're shocked that we forget who God is, it's because we forget who we were and what he did. So let's not forget and let's look back, not with shame and with guilt, but let's look back to celebrate what he did. At one point, most of us tried to fix our life our own and we stained our entire life and we made just a stinky mess. And our thought was, well, we had to do this on our own. We had to fix this. And a question for you, real honest, is is who asked you to fix it? 
my daughter said I asked her. Real honest, who asked you to fix your life? Some of us can say a name. Some of us can say, oh, my, my, my dad taught me that. My, my mom taught me that. That I made the mess. I got to clean it all up myself. And I'm not talking about like spilled orange juice. I'm talking about life. Who asked you to fix it? Who said that you had to do this all alone? Who's the voice? Not, not like we're going to get mad at them, but sometimes we need to know. I was talking to some friends in my small group on Wednesday. We were looking at our family, and, and I remember that my dad taught me, help everyone that you can and never be in a position to need help. And he said this as he would like rustle my hair at night. That's what was spoken over me. I had a great dad, but that was a crippling phrase because I just need help like all the time. And I felt like I can either get help from people and be a horrible failure to my dad or I can be prideful and just drowned. And I had to learn that like just maybe my dad is awesome but just didn't know everything. He didn't know what he was saying. In your life, who's, who's the one who said you had to do this alone? And I'm saying that there's probably a voice there because I watch us. We act like we have to do it alone. We act like whatever butterscotch we stole is now our last name. And we've got to earn something different. This is what, what God says. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. You were saved. In the middle of the missing butterscotch, in the middle of the mess on the carpet, you were saved. Not because you did something. Reality is you and I, we did nothing. We didn't crack a code. We didn't find our way to something and we didn't accomplish all these great things to get ourselves saved. No, you're saved because of who he is. It's because of God's character, because of his identity that you are saved. All we do is nod in agreement. That's about it. He extends mercy and we say, yes, sir, I need that. He extends grace. We say, yeah, yeah, I, I me too. And some of us this morning, the thing that we need is to breathe deep in this one. You need mercy, then breathe it in. Because God hasn't changed. And he's the one who is merciful. He was yesterday, and he is right now in this time. Ephesians 2, our, our verse for this series, says it this way, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Even when we were dead, when the Tupperware was empty, when the stain was on the carpet, he makes us alive because he's rich in mercy. So when you think of your father, I, I want to ask you a question here. How much changes for you when you realize that your father is rich? How much is different for you? When you realize your heavenly father is rich, because that's what scripture says. He's rich. He's not scarce. He's not running on scarce resources. There's not a poverty over mercy. There's not too many kids and you've got to eat 
fast to be able to get your second helping. It's none of those kinds of things here. Your father is rich. What does that change for us? He doesn't have just a little bit of mercy. He owns the bank. He owns the car lot. If it's found in the mall, he owns the mall. So if you need mercy and your father who is good, he's rich in this one. But what really is mercy? It's a very churchy word, and it'd be really easy for us to live the rest of our life saying, oh, praise God for his mercy, and sing about it, but not really know what it is. Mercy is this desperate, tangible relief that we don't deserve. It's this relief that you can even feel when the pressures of life, of sin, of death, of decay, of messes that you made and messes you found yourself in, when you are backed in a corner and all of that is piling down on you, mercy is that relief saying, yes, son, you don't deserve this one. Let me pull you out. Yes, daughter, you are exactly where you deserve to be. Now let me pull you out and restore you to who I made you to be. This is when someone has the ability to put you under their thumb but releases all pressure, restores you and dusts you off. So we used to play Mercy a bunch. I used to play my uncles. I always wanted to beat them. I don't think I still ever have. You know, Mercy's the game where you like lock hands like this. And there's really an agreement that like you don't play Mercy with someone that you don't trust. Because if they're strong, they might be mean. But if you trust somebody, you play mercy. And you're just really mean. Kids, you should try this later. You just like twist each other's hands and you try to get them like this. And you're like digging in nails and all of this until you hurt the other person. It's a horrible game. Until you hurt the other person. And the way that the pressure is relieved is when they say mercy, right? I grew up saying uncle because I played against my uncles. (laughs) But you say mercy. And then the rule of the game, like the only rule is you have to let go. I remember playing Mercy against a friend of mine once, and we had both arms going because we were really cool, and we were really locked in this thing, and we get going, and he kicks my shin. I was like, wow! And then he had this like kung fu move afterwards where he got me all tangled up, and I was in a complete mess, but I was so prideful I could not call out for Mercy. And he had me just tangled. And finally, I said mercy, and his hands were off. He reached out his hand and helped me up. And we were back to buddies. Flawed picture, but that's mercy. We find ourselves in these messy spots, and then we just go find the silly little popper vacuums and try to clean our way out of it. Don't do it, guys. Don't do it. You're wearing yourself out. I'm wearing myself out with that. Call out for mercy. This is the moment that you can't make up for. You can't make up for what you've squandered. You can't clean up the mess that you've made. And honestly, it's much more costly. Our examples are much more costly than a couple rolls of butterscotch bars. Much more costly than a little stain on a carpet and a funny story. We have like fractured relationships. We have like deep pain. It takes our effect on our minds, on our bodies. 
we physically wear this pressure. But his mercy is more plentiful than we could ever imagine. It's that moment when we're far from God, when we deserve death and all of its consequences. When we deserve this God to look at us and in full of his holiness, point out everything that we've done and give us a sentence of guilty and instead he looks at us and gives us Jesus. That's mercy. It's this relief extended and mercy is the very thing that God is rich in. Now sit on that. What, do you, what did you believe God was rich in? I thought he was rich in perfection and in judgment. He was really good at seeing whatever I was up to. I remember, <laughs> I remember like when I was reading at night when I wasn't supposed to, I would pull a blanket over my head in case Jesus couldn't see me. I wasn't afraid of my mom and dad, but I was pretty sure like, well, God somehow looks at me. Maybe I can trick him. But I was like, no, he sees everything. And it, my grandma was really good at guilting me with that one. Like, Matt, he sees everything. And like, oh, dear. He saw me sorting my baseball cards because that's the worst thing in the world. What did you believe he was rich in that he had so much of? When I read scriptures, he's rich in love, in patience with us, praise God, in mercy extended to you, to me. Remember this, he saved us, Titus says, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out richly, Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. When we're a mess, when we got butterscotch all over our face or anything worse, when we are in the middle of our desperate need for mercy, he washes us clean. His Holy Spirit, his very presence comes to live within us, washing over us, filling us, and he's poured out over us generously. So why ever live scarce? Why would we ever live scarce? He says that our justification's already been done. It's taken care of. You've been made right. All of that is done. It's God's character. Don't worry about it. Just let him be. Let him do his thing. If we are justified, then we are becoming heirs to the throne. And what is an heir? That's somebody who looks like the king, right? And our king is rich in mercy. How desperate is our culture for a bunch of heirs who are rich in mercy. This is why we're baptized, right? To show physically that we're washed clean. That the effects of everything is, is washed away. But often we're dipped in the waters of baptism only to start trying to clean ourselves off once again. Let's not do this, guys. We can walk to the God of mercy, knowing that he's rich in this, that there's plenty of mercy for all of us. And so just a moment, we're going to, we're going to celebrate his mercy extended. But I realize some of us, some of us may, 
may need to verbalize our need for mercy. Some of us might need somebody to talk to, to say, hey, I've been trying on my own and I'm really tired. I desperately need relief. Can I borrow some of your faith and can we pray together and can I experience that mercy? Can we ask together? Some of us may be at a spot where the love that we talked about last week, the mercy this week, we're like, I I need to know that God and I don't know that God. I need to know that Jesus, I don't need to know, I don't know him yet or I, I need to like, Some of us might be like, I need to be baptized. In a few weeks, in about three weeks, we're going to have the pool here and we're going to do baptism. Some of us might be like, I need to show the world that like I'm washed clean. This is, I'm done. I'm done trying on my own. That might be some of us. Don't let today pass if that's you. He's rich in mercy today. He will be tomorrow too. But why, why like, why live under this? Why live with that guilt? Why, why live that way? But all of us are invited to his table. And so if you, if you want to pray with somebody, go towards this door, go towards this door. There's going to be people there who'd love to pray with you, talk with you, walk you through what faith in Christ looks like or what baptism looks like, whatever it is. But all of us were invited to his table where we celebrate his mercy, Right? There's this interesting thing with how we do communion. I always think it's really interesting. So we, we grab a piece of bread, grab a piece of bread. You grab a cup or you dip the bread in the cup. And the bread represents his body. The, the juice represents his blood. And we do this remembering his sacrifice. But I, I've, I've laughed at the way that we do it because we take like the tiniest piece of bread in the world because we're like really kind to one another. Don't be kind today. Rip off a hunk. There's plenty of mercy for all of us. And I promise you there's even more bread. If you need to take a fourth of it, because you need that much mercy, take that much mercy. There's enough of God for all of us. There's enough of Him. We're not, we're not in a place that's scarce. God has us. And He is a God full of love. And He's a God rich in mercy. So let me pray for us. Jesus, thanks for who you are. Thanks for the way that you love us. Thanks for the way that you have met us. I pray that in real ways that you would pour out your mercy on us. Some of us live under the weight of this life through things that we've chosen to do and now have taken as identities and also through things of just us trying to clean up our messes. But I pray that you would relieve us of that, that we would experience your real intangible mercy and that we would join you at your table celebrating that all that needed to be done has already been done and so we can walk away as heirs. Thanks in your precious name.